Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, this sucks. No, no, I appreciate that. It's uh, but yeah, the weather's you know it's been pretty good. We've had a a couple strange winters in a row that aren't really typical. Uh, so I live on the west coast of the the island portion of the province. So in Newfoundland, uh, we typically get like quite a bit of snowpack. Um, you know, like the, we can still snowmobile in spots sometimes into late May. Uh, but last year we had a an extremely mild winter. Like there were you know, periods in February where we, we had no snow really? at all, which isn't the norm. Right. Yeah. Um, and this year, just talking about the flooding and stuff, like same thing, midwinter, we had a big stretch of like mild rainy weather and pretty much lost everything. Um, yeah. so much so that some of the, uh, there was some flooding in, in town, um, you know, and along the rivers and things like that. But, uh, the tail end of the winter, you know, it kind of tapered back to, you know, what would be typical, but as for the spring, it's been, been pretty good. It's still, still kind of cold, uh, in the evenings and stuff. Um, you know, and the bears are kind of, it's like you said, the, the, the heat almost helps, right? Like for, yeah, you know, moose hunting and stuff. It, I feel like we're always waiting for it to, to get colder. So they'll start moving more, but it's, it yeah. seems to be almost the opposite. Yeah. That's uh, what I bears. find it. I find it when you, it's a little warmer, you get a little more activity. They're easy. Well, not, shouldn't say activity i just i know where they're going to be like i can tell you for like for sure if it's 30 degrees out there's going to be bears i know exactly where their bears are going to be they're going to be down in those drainages if there's water down there it's cooler down there it's a lot more green down there and that's where they're going to be during the day like i could you know i'd I'd put money on areas where they're going to be and then when it's this wet i mean there's water everywhere it's green everywhere so yeah you know, they're going to, you, you know, they're in an area, but they're just a lot harder to pinpoint exactly where in that area they're going to be. So it makes it a little more tricky, but yeah. you just got to hone your skills as a hunter that way. Try something yeah. new. No, that's right. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just, uh, let's just roll from there. So, um, why don't you start off, just give yourself a little introduction, maybe give us a little, nothing too long. Just give us a little elevator speech on who you are and all that stuff. Yeah. My name is Gerard White, born and raised in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, in particular on the west coast of the island portion of the province, so on the island of Newfoundland. Um, my day job, I guess, I, I'm a junior high math and science teacher. You know, other than that, I'm a husband and a, a father to a little one-year-old boy. Uh, he just turned one a few days ago. Nice. You got a hunting buddy coming up. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. And outside of that, you know, I spend a lot of my free time uh hunting and fishing pretty much 
Yeah. Cool. So, so, so how did you get into hunting? Did your dad hunt or? So it's a, a bit of a, I guess, roundabout way uh, to get into it. So uh, I grew up in a family of hunters and anglers pretty much on my mom's side. Um, you know, so I kind of grew up around it quite a bit, but as a kid, you know, I would go out and fish with them, like trout fish, uh, and things like that, or, you know, grew up snaring rabbits, you know, those sorts of things, um, did a lot of snowmobiling and things like that as a child. So, you know, I was outdoors a lot, but just never really, uh, got into the hunting. So I was kind of, I guess, indirectly around it quite a bit. Um, but you know, I was involved in other things and interested in other things and it was really not until my early twenties, uh, that I finally, you know, kind of took the step to go in that direction. Um, you know, and I've been incredibly lucky just in terms of like opportunity, uh, and just people around me that have, you know, shown me some things for sure. Um, and like I said, having a, that family support where, you know, just that knowledge, it was easy to learn. It was a pretty, I guess, um, quick learning curve, but I'm still learning all the yeah. time, you know, but it's, uh, no, it's, it's been great. In fact, um, just like I mentioned before, I lived in Nain, uh, Northern Labrador for a bit. Um, and that's where, you know, I met our mutual friend, Paul. Um, but up there, that was really almost like the crash course, I guess there was a lot of opportunity and a lot of people, you know, willing to take you along and, show you the ropes and yeah, it's, you know, just learning all the time. <laughs> right on, man. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing about hunting is, you know, you never stop learning. There's mm -hmm. always something and it doesn't matter what you're hunting, mule deer, bear, moose, anything. There's, you know, you're still going to get schooled when it comes to hunting. And, you know, you, you mentioned you grew up in the outdoors. I think that's a big thing. It makes the transition into hunting, you know, if you're a first time hunter in your twenties or, or wherever, but if you grow up in the outdoors, it makes it a lot easier to, get into hunting, you know, yeah. fishing, hunting, they're kind of go hand in hand. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So when did you get into bear hunting? Yeah. So bear hunting, uh, it's been about four years, you know, so here in Newfoundland, we, we do have a fall and a spring season. Um, so like I said, there's lots of opportunity. Um, and you know, we're pretty lucky in terms of, I guess, access to hunting. Uh, the vast majority of our land here is public land or crown land. Um, and something like almost 90%. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty easy to kind of get into, um, and bears in particular, there's no lottery here. Uh, like you don't need to draw a tag uh, or anything like that. It's just pretty much over the counter. You buy them online and choose your area. That's it really. So it's been, yeah, I guess the last four years, uh, and it's been, you know, quite the learning <laughs> experience yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you said you have to, you choose your area. What, what do you mean there? Like when you buy, like in BC here, so we buy a, a bear tag, we can use that bear tag in any region. We got, okay. we have eight, eight, well, actually we got nine regions, I guess, if because we got seven, a seven B I'm in region eight pizza region four. So I could use that tag. We allow two tags, two bears in British Columbia fall or spring. And we can use that tag anywhere in the provinces. How does it work over okay. there? Yeah. So it's a little, little different here. Um, it's similar in that way. So you can take, like you said, two bears, uh, on a license, um, and things like that, but they have the province kind of divided up, uh, actually in moose management areas is what they're called. So MMAs. Oh. And, uh, when you buy a bear license, you choose the basically, well, I guess it's the bear management area, but, um, they're divided the same as the moose management areas. Oh, so yeah. for instance, the area I live in, um uh, is inside of moose management area eight uh yeah. so that's where i do my bear hunting as well so when i buy my license hmm. uh you specify area eight um you know and that's it so you're kind of confined to that yeah yeah region yeah how many yeah. management areas do you guys have there uh there are quite a few i believe on the island there's over 40 um oh wow yeah oh that's a lot because i mean newfoundland's it's not very big. I mean, do you think of the size geographically, the size of Newfoundland compared to British Columbia? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the island is, it's probably a little bigger than it, yeah. than you think, you know, it's now uh, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Say yeah, from like co coast to coast, it's, you know, you're, you're looking at almost 800 kilometers or so. So it's, uh, you know, it is a fair size. Yeah. Um, but these, yeah, the management areas are, yeah, I guess they're not huge geographically, but they're, they are quite large, you know, um, 
you know, you could go to all day sometimes and not run into anybody um, and things like that, depending on where you're going. I like going to places like that <laughs> if I can, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I'm just looking at a map. I guess Newfoundland is a little bit bigger. It goes into the top end of Quebec there. So you're on the west coast of it. The west coast of the island part. Yeah, so yeah. the Labrador itself borders Quebec. So what are uh, the bear numbers like out there? Yeah, so our, I mean, I don't know if they've ever done a, like a, you know, they have an estimate um, of the population. Yeah. Like, and they do surveys and things and hunting returns, uh, but they estimate the population somewhere between six and 10,000. So, you know, it's uh, it's hard to say for sure, um, but it does seem like a, a pretty healthy population. Yeah. Do you feel like their numbers, they're accurate with their numbers? Uh, <laughs> like in BC, I, yeah. I look at, I feel like there's a lot more bears than they say there. I mean, they still say there's over a hundred thousand bears. Isn't that what it is, Pete? Like a hundred? It's something around there. Yeah. But it seems like there's more out I, there. Yeah. 140,000 bears in British Columbia or something like that. And I mean, I, I should probably know that number, but I just feel like there's way more bears than they estimate. Like, like yeah. I, man, I've gone days where I see like 12 bears in an hour in not not a very big area not covering a lot of area you know you can't walk that much in an hour so right yeah and honestly here like they'll do aerial surveys uh where i'm from mm -hmm. uh down in the wetlands in the winter time or fall time depending i guess whenever their budgets are and that kind of thing to just do animal counts and that but i can't say that i've ever heard of them doing you know bear counts that way i don't i don't honestly know how you'd get an accurate number of uh of bears with a terrain that we have, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Well, it's just too thick here. I don't. Yeah. I, I think it's a similar, you know, a similar issue here. Um, like I said, that, that number that they estimate six to 10,000, that's a pretty big, you know, a pretty big range. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I don't, same thing. I don't really think that it's super accurate uh, because yeah. like you said, it's, it's different for like caribou or moose, the aerial surveys combined with the hunting returns kind of paints a pretty good picture. Um, but for bears, like you said, it's, th they're in the thick cover a lot yeah. for one. Um, you know, so they're kind of just relying on hunting returns, um, yeah. and other methods, but I, I don't think it's, I, I almost think it's difficult for them to be, uh, as accurate. Yeah. I don't know if they take that consideration here, but the thing about bears is a lot of people like might see bears and they might think they're easy to hunt, but they're not that easy to hunt. You know, no. a lot of bears hunters don't, they don't get lucky with bears. So um i don't want to get off topic here but how is the caribou population out there yeah so is, the is it stable it is uh you know the numbers are definitely down uh since like say the the 90s for instance um is that is that concerning like or is is wildlife management concerned about the numbers dropping that much or were they really high in the 90s now you know now that maybe they're just leveling out a bit so there's a couple things so we we have a few different herds i guess for instance in northern labrador um there's the george river herd that you know kind of travels between labrador and quebec uh, and their numbers are down significantly um i think in the 90s up there the numbers were something like eight hundred thousand or more um oh, in the wow. most recent survey it's been under ten thousand. oh uh, yeah that's crazy so, yeah. yeah so there's been a like a hunting ban on that herd in particular so since what what's the, do they have a reason why those numbers are so low i you know i think there's a number of factors um you know i i, I guess hunting may play a role uh but really you know, not as much as say like climate change um yeah. you know and things like this like you got to remember like the vegetation that's around um you know when these caribou are being born is important and plays a you know a huge role in survival right. so if we're shifting kind of like you know the climate and what weather or what vegetation's around sorry um you know those things have an impact or just you know um you know yeah, when there's yeah. big big projects like you guys see it like logging projects yeah. and stuff yeah yeah and um, that may and i know here in bc you talk to some guys up north and they say climate change you know they're like wow you know you guys might down there might think of might not think of it but you know climate change is it's a real thing and they got these caribou, they, you know, where there, there's just so much flies up there and they just, you know, they, they try to get rid of, they try to escape from the flies. And this guy was telling me that, you know, there's been, he's, he's seen firsthand of, you know, caribou herds getting, you know, molested with black flies and getting killed by black flies. And it's just something you never think about. But, but he was saying that 
you know, where their snow line used to be, and that was their geographical migration route. And now there's no snow in those areas, and you know, they're just getting inundated with flies and something. Yeah. I was like blown away when he was telling me, I was like, flies, really, I guess. But you know, like our last guest, Pete, you know, ticks, ticks on yeah. moose, like ticks taking down moose, it's just something you never think about. Yeah. And here on the island, we have, so that, that's just one example, but uh, our population on the island, I, I can't remember what the last survey was. And I believe they were actually doing aerial surveys this winter past, so we should get an updated number soon. Uh, but in the 90s, there was an issue with a, uh, like a brain worm disease um, oh, yeah. that I believe killed a bunch. And I think some of them had to actually be culled. Um, okay. And that brain worm was thought to actually, so... <laughs> um actually come from norway which is interesting and i know that sounds like it wouldn't make sense um no. but back in the 1920s um one of the logging companies actually brought reindeer over um basically to pull sleighs uh of logs and they think that's how it actually got into the caribou population wow oh here yeah so we've you know we've seen the numbers drop i think this year um for hunting there was like 500 and 75 caribou licenses um given out for this fall coming you know um but i can't remember what the herd number is i want to say around thirty thousand. Uh, yeah. but i could be oh, wrong but crazy. that number's in my you know in my head that brain where it must be passed it must pass it like a nasal bot it must pass it through you know looking at each other's face and stuff through their nostril or nasal cavity i imagine or i would imagine yeah i believe that's how uh, yeah. most of them are do they think that it could transfer over to any other animals? Like let's say a bear were to harvest, you know, a dead, dead caribou's on the ground. It goes and finds it and starts chowing down any, any transferring from one species to another. Have they found anything like that? Not that I I'm aware of. Uh, and in fact, I haven't, you know, heard anything new on that brain where my, my understanding is that it's sort of controlled, I guess. Or taken oh yeah, care that's of. good. Yeah. 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 It, it's funny that some of those, those little critters, those little insects are kind of just unique to certain species only like, you know, like that nasal bot, just as far as I know, it's just in the deer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to talk about bear cooking, uh, rendering and stuff like that. So maybe if you could just uh, go through kind of like, um, maybe we'll start with, with, uh, with the rendering of the fat, kind of walk me through your process of what you do to you know when you get fat basically how you get it off the hide or how you get it off the meat sorry yep. and uh and just basically start from the beginning of what you do to from the time you get it to the time you time yep. you store it and even yeah. maybe and then we'll go from there we'll just hop into how you use it and then we'll kind of segue into cooking sure yeah so you know when you when you're skinning a bear basically um you know in the fall time they have a incredibly thick layer of fat um you know sometimes like two three inches or more uh just kind of on top of the the meat or the muscle tissue um so you know as you're skinning the bear basically all you're seeing is white fat essentially on a fatty bear um and you know you pretty much just take it away from the muscle tissue the same way you would when you're you know skinning out a hide um and you just want to treat that pretty much the same way as you would treat the meat you want to you know put it in a cheesecloth bag uh, and keep it cool if you can until you get it home um, but as far as rendering it goes, uh, you know, you could take this stuff and freeze it for a while, um, before you render it, which really in my experience is better. Um, it's a lot easier to cut up and deal with once it's frozen, um, and sort of thawing because yeah. you got to remember it has the consistency of like pretty much yeah. jello. So <laughs> you can yeah, imagine yeah, trying to, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little more stiff. It's easy to work with when it's, uh, when it's a little, when it's frozen. Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from there, just try to keep it clean or I, I like to cl clean it up before I freeze it. Uh, any bit of like blood or hair or anything like that, that you can get off it. Um, you know, the more, the better. Yeah. And that, then, that, I'm, that must, I imagine if you keep that, you know, if you do have a little bit of blood and stuff, I imagine that probably comes out in the taste at the, in the end of it. Uh, yeah, Does I would imagine. I mean, you know, uh, through the process, you'll end up like running it through cheesecloth and a strainer and stuff. So like, yeah, any of that hair is probably going to get picked up. up there. Gotcha. Yeah. But like anything, you know, the, the better you take care of it, you know, the better the final yeah. result will be. Uh, but yeah. So once it's frozen, you know, and you uh, are planning on rendering it, 
I always take it out and let it thaw out for a little bit, typically in the fridge, um, just kind of get it thawing slowly so that it's still, you know, semi-frozen when you're looking to cut it up. Uh, and from there, you know, I'll cube it up into small cubes, probably, you know, an inch by an inch. And if you have access to a meat grinder, uh, I'd recommend running it through the meat grinder. So all that does really is helps to increase the surface area. Um, and you pretty much just get more of a, a yield out of the fat itself. So, it's, you know, if you, it's kind of like trying to dissolve a powder versus a yeah. cube of something, yeah. essentially, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, that uh, makes sense yeah. for sure. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from there, when I run it through the grinder, just the same way as you would when you're grinding meat, just make sure the, uh, the parts of the grinder, like the, the head and stuff, are kept in the freezer beforehand. Um, you know, and you're grinding this stuff while it's still semi-frozen. And all that helps to do is, you know, as it's grinding, it's building up friction, uh, which is going to create heat. Uh, and it's just going to get kind of messy and, you know, essentially cook some of the fat uh, in the grinder if you don't do that. Uh, but once it's ground up, you know, from there, it's pretty much ready to render. So uh, I don't want to overcomplicate it. I mean, it's, you know, if you put heat to this stuff, it's going to melt. You're going to yeah. get, you know, bare grease. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, taking some steps, I guess to improve the quality of it so right right um, so when you're cooking it what kind of temperatures are you cooking it at obviously you don't want to cook it too hot because it's going to burn it yeah so uh typically i'll use the the crock pot or the slow cooker um but you know some people just put it on the stove uh in like a a metal pot but um you know i I like to cook it on low if i can at least at the start to kind of coat the bottom of the the pot with a bit of oil yeah um and then i'm i might turn it up a little bit but as far as you know adding more heat it's really it's gonna melt it faster um but you know it'll change the color and stuff i, I don't really in my experience it hasn't really affected the taste or anything or the quality in terms of right, what you're right. using it for um but you know like most things that you're cooking in a slow cooker low and slow yeah if you can and uh, you know in terms of time like it, with my particular slow cooker on high i don't know how hot it actually gets somewhere between 250, 300 Fahrenheit. So, you know, you're looking at about like 20 minutes, give or take, and I'll keep stirring it and just, you know, you keep going until most of the fat is melted. You're going to get some stuff left over. Uh, and it's almost like kind of like when you cook bacon, you know, you get the little bits yeah. left in yeah, the bottom the, of the pan. The hard stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So you get a bit of that stuff um, left over, but you'll, you'll pretty much know when it's exhausted. I guess when it's done. Yeah. 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 So from there, uh, once that stuff's, you know, cooked and you feel like you got the most out of it, um, you know, you run it through a, a funnel or a strainer and typically I'll line it with cheesecloth. Uh, and all that does is just any of those little tiny particles like we were talking about. It just keeps that stuff uh, out of the so oil. On the, so on the strainer, you you said cheesecloth. Are you putting the cheesecloth on the inside of the strainer or are you going on the outside of the strainer? Uh, I actually put it on the inside. So I have inside? like a say like a metal cooking strainer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just take a piece of cheesecloth and fold it over a couple of times and line oh, yeah. the inside of the funnel. Oh, with right. that. And then I'll lay that strainer. It's only a small one. So I'll, it'll fit pretty much inside, like on top of a mason jar. Oh yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, Perfect. So I'll just lay it there and um, you know, you got to remember this stuff's hot. So just uh, with the oil, be careful. It's uh, you know, you can get a really bad, burn uh so i'll use a ladle and just kind of ladle so i try to avoid the burnt little pieces um you know use the ladle to ladle it into the strainer uh and then go from there and then typically on the last scoop i'll take all the those little burnt leftover pieces uh, and actually put that in the strainer with the cheesecloth and kind of sort of push it down and squeeze as much out of it as i can um and then from there you know it's uh it should be like a it's almost like a yellowish color, uh, not much different than olive oil. It does look a bit different, but it's kind of like an amber yellowish color. And as it cools, it'll start to turn white. Um, you know, and at room temperature, you'll have a bit of oil separating on the top, and most of the lard on the bottom. Uh, but if you keep it in the fridge, I find it just the whole thing kind of solidifies and turns. So white. if it is at room temperature there and it does separate a little bit, uh, what does a person do just to get kind of the consistency again? Are you just got to stir it up or yeah, is there... just, uh, just shake it up before you open it up and use it. Yep. 
Uh, that's about it. Typically, I, I store mine in the fridge. Uh, you know, it will keep at room temperature and that's fine. I just, you know, with things like that, if I can keep it in the fridge, I will, if there's room. Cool. <laughs> yeah. If there's yeah. room for sure. So how much, like out of a medium sized bear in the fall, how much, how much are you getting off of that typically? Yeah. So the last bit I did, I'm trying to think of how much. So I put most of them in small, uh, I guess like eight ounce jars yeah. and the rest in pint size jars. And I believe I had eight of the small jars and then oh, four nice. of the large but that was a that was a big bear it was a big mature okay or but it wasn't the spring um, oh yeah yeah so he, he actually had more fat on him than i expected um but the fall before that uh my buddy and i uh we ended up killing a it's probably about a 200 pound bear so like you described like Yep. Uh, medium size. And I actually think there was more fat on that medium size bear uh, than there was on this big boar, but just the different seasons. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is um, typically the, the uh, fall bears, they have a lot more fat than they do. Oh yeah. Uh, way in, more in the spring. Yeah. yeah. Just because there's a lot more going on. Hibernation yeah. takes a, takes a toll on them. And, and, you know, in the fall they're, they're gearing up for another hibernation. So generally they're, they're a lot fattier. Yeah. Um, do you notice any difference in like the quality of that, that fat from spring to fall? Uh, it really depends on what the bear has been eating. Uh, okay. You know, so like, uh, I'm not sure what it's like in BC. So here in Newfoundland, we're actually allowed to hunt over bait, um, yeah. which, you know, you're pretty much in control then of what the bears consuming. Um, that big boar from last spring, uh, he, that was just a spot in stock um hunt and you know he had been at the time feeding on a moose carcass oddly enough um but you know i didn't notice any sort of taste difference or difference in quality of the meat um you know but i think you're you're pretty much safe like it's it's all going to be good unless the bear was eating like a lot of you know rotting fish or you know things like that um you know i've noticed that the quality was much the same honestly between those two bears in particular right Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And then I talked to some guys and they they say, yeah, it definitely makes a difference if it's, you know, been eating rotten fish mm-hmm. uh, compared to, you know, the ones that are up in the mountains eating the berries. And then some guys are like, I've eaten them. It doesn't make any difference in actually the actual taste of the meat. I think a lot of it has to do with co- how you're cooking it. Yeah, so wh- cooking. And just to add to that, also, like, you know, the, a lot of that taste, I guess, is in the fat. Uh, and just taking that right. fat off quickly, you know, like when you're actually scanning it out uh, and dealing with it quicker, I think helps a bit. Like if you're going to hang a bear up with the fat left on it, yeah. you know, for a couple of days or something. And then, yeah. you know, it's it's all about, I, I think, any meat and fat that's been handled well uh, and cooled down quickly. Um, so are you taking the meat difference. off the animal? Like, are you taking it off in the field or are you waiting until you get back? Uh, wait back until I get back. back. Yeah. 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 So. You know, yeah. like obviously we'll like I got the animal in the field. Yeah. Um, and open it up and let it cool down. Uh, but where I hunt is like not too far from home. Uh, right. It's not like I have a long pack out to the truck. It's, yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. 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 And I think that makes a big difference. Um, you know, I tell people, you know, if it's hot and you're if you got a little hike back to the truck, the biggest thing you want to do is you want to get that height off first. Number one, get the height off, let that air out so you don't ruin it, get the meat. No, obviously, first thing you do, obviously, is you get the guts out, but then get the hide mm-hmm. off. Then you, you know, get that meat, get it up, get it cool, get some wind on it. And then, you know, right when it's hanging, take that fat, cut as much fat as you can off. Either if you're going to, you know, if you're going to keep it, throw it in a, like you said, in a, in a bag, hang that, and then just let that meat cool down. And if you can, I mean, if it's really hot, take it off the bone, which, which makes a big difference too. Yeah. Oh, it, it makes an incredible difference. Like, for instance, uh, you know, where I killed my moose this year, uh, it was a, a big, it was really far from home. <laughs> it was pretty far from my cabin, even where uh, we were staying. So, you know, right away we took the hide off, everything really got that cool. Um, and then still, you know, got back to the truck as quick as possible. And uh, honestly, it was one of the better eating moose I've had, <laughs> was, yeah. you know, uh, I think that made all the difference. Right. Yeah. yeah um, sure. but definitely, yeah. Like what you just said for bears, you know, the quicker you can get that cool, the better, you know, if you're somewhere where you can just pull up on an ATV and bring it back to the truck and get it home and deal with it home the same yeah. evening, you know, that's fine. But if you're going to be out for any time, yeah, you got to yeah, deal with sure. it 
Yeah. So what, what about storing your, like, let's say you've already, you've already produced all your bear fat. You got it in jars and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Got big bear and lots of it. There's no way my wife is letting me keep all that in the fridge. Right. <laughs> uh, so can you freeze it or what's the best way to store it so that it doesn't spoil? And then, yeah, you're going to, or you, you might have to make room in your beer fridge. For yeah. That's not, that's not happening. Oh, that's not an option. Okay. No. No, fair my, enough. Beer, yeah. my beer fridge is going to be full. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it will keep at room temperature, uh, you know, for quite a while. So if you had somewhere, um, you know, like in a pantry or something like that, or, you know, for anybody who has a cellar, you know, where do you put other canned goods, things like that, that would work. Um, but yeah, you could definitely, you know, freeze it. And I, I've actually never frozen it and thought it after the fact. Uh, so I don't know how that would affect the quality because some things do sort of change once they're frozen. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I can't see it being much different than any other oil that's been frozen um, and rethawed, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I could keep it under almost like a cellar, like under our stairs, it's in the basement and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. nice and cool. How, how long would something like that last for without spoiling? Uh, do you think? Uh, I give it about a year. Um, okay. You know, I, I mean, I, I know of people and I've read, things online where people use it after a year but you know i think a year is a pretty good um shelf life on it right on so let's talk a little bit about cooking and use and uses of that stuff so what's what are some of the ways you use it like do you use it for everything is it a day-to-day use or is it just you know specific meals specific you know do you use it only when you're cooking bear meat talk a little bit about that so the fat specifically Yeah, yeah the fat yeah yeah. So, uh, I've used it, like you said, for cooking, um, I've cooked bear meat in it. I've actually cooked moose meat in it as well. Um, you know, and some people substitute it in anywhere where you would use lard, uh, in like pastries, uh, and things like that. Oh. Um, yeah, but for myself, you know, I've used it mainly for cooking meat. Um, you know, and I've made some other things with it. Um, for instance, you can make like you know, sort of like hand creams or salves or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Okay, um, cool. That, that, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, well, let's just, let's just finish up with, uh, we'll get, we'll, we'll roll through the cooking stuff because I'll, then yeah, yeah. If, if I get going on that, I'm going to, I'm going to get way off topic. No, no, no problem. It's yeah. really interesting. And when you get into the, the hand soaps and all that stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. It's uh super versatile and, yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of people are hesitant uh, to even try bear meat. Um, for whatever yeah, that, reason, Pete and I, that you know, there it's funny how many people just you know, the for some reason, bear got this rap of being not good for cooking or not good for eating. Sorry, yeah, and it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know where that came from, but I mean, like growing up, hunt like hunting moose and stuff with my dad, and like they always said, no, bear's no good for eating, bear's no good for eating. And you're like, now you know, I love it, and it's like, I, oh, I don't yes. know where I don't know where that stereotype came from that bear all of a sudden got a bad rap of, you know, I don't know if it was, they always just see bears, you know, picking the dead fish and stuff off the riverbank. And they're like, Oh, it's just going to taste like a a dead spawned out humpy. Mm. But somewhere along the line, it got this, you know, it got the rap of being not good for eating. It's funny too, because I've even got, you know, non-hunting, non-hunting family members throughout the past who, you know, whether they eat wild game or not, hasn't really mattered, but it's been like, Oh yeah. Yeah moose elk deer yeah i can see those you know why people would like those you know to eat and everything but bear mm-hmm. oh that's disgusting why would you eat a bear and it's like yeah. well you don't even yeah. eat the other stuff but you're already jumping to the conclusion that bear is gross and it's like well why would it be yeah i'm not yeah. saying that it's not but why why jump to that conclusion before you've even tried it yeah and especially somebody who knows how to cook it too because i'm sorry you can wreck anything like yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like myself, like... I, I typically burn toast. So like, I'm a bad example, <laughs> but my, I, you know, I'm not allowed in the kitchen in my house. So, um, but you know, like my wife does an amazing job at well cooking everything. So, um, but yeah, it's funny how that, where that all started and how it all came, but it's, it's funny too. Cause I think slowly now it's slowly going the opposite way. I mean, the more people talk about it, the more bear hunting goes on. Uh, more guys are getting into it. Uh, so, which is good. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm not really sure where that comes from. And, you know, I, I see that here a lot as well. I, I'm not sure if it's just, you know, it's just so much different than 
like I feel like when people think of like say a deer or a moose, they can like kind of see the connection from there to like beef. It almost makes sense, but yeah, right. I feel like bears are just a little further from that that people yeah. kind of struggle. But it is it's it's delicious, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like there's you know some people who don't understand why people hunt bear. Like I, I feel like some people think, like you said, that it's no good to eat, and they just assume that people are killing bears for the sake of killing bears, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to talk about it. Uh, yeah. And I have. think, you know, that comes from like, if you go to, you see these little ads pop up everywhere. I mean, on Facebook, Instagram, you know, you get news articles about it and it's, you get these little funny, little anti hunting, anti bear hunting organizations, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the first thing they portray is that hunters do not eat bear meat right that's like the first line that's the head title bear hunters do not eat bear meat it's a myth it's a lie and so i think for the people who are just getting into hunting they already have that in their they already have that in their mindset and then once they get into it or you know if they talk to hunters then they they kind of realize like hey uh well it's slowly you know with social media being such a big presence and you know a lot of people now are you know they're not just about the grip and grins they're about you know the Mm -hmm. whole process of of what a hunt actually is it comes down to you know there's a lot more steps involved it's training you know if you're bow hunting it takes a huge commitment to you know to be good to be accurate with your bow and then it comes down to you know harvesting the animal and it comes down to breaking it down and then putting food on your table and there's a lot more of that now than just you know typically you know in 10 15 20 years ago it was just you know oh look what i shot look what i shot right it's all about yeah. the grins. so i think that transition's definitely helping yeah no absolutely yeah um uh, but yeah just back to the cooking thing i mean you know it's uh it's, it's one of those meats like you I, I i tell people and i've given bear meat to my friends um and colleagues and you know i, I just suggest like treat it the way you would treat pork um uh, you know so there is the risk, I guess, of uh, contracting trichinosis um, from the trichinella parasite, which, you know, if, if you're cooking stuff well done to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, there's nothing to worry about. Um, you know, so just, like I said, treat it the way you would treat pork, essentially. Um, you know, but within that, I, I find the best meals uh, with bear um, are things that are a little, I guess, more forgiving in terms of texture. So if you got to cook something well done, um, especially like a, a spring bear without much fat on it, it's, you know, it could be tough essentially. Um, but things like stews, for instance, um, like any beef stew recipe that you have and just substituting bear meat for the beef is delicious. And the meat, you know, ends up being really tender, yeah. um, uh, in the slow cooker, making things like, like the way you make pulled pork sandwiches, for instance, mm-hmm. it's delicious with bear meat. Um, sausages i actually had sausages made last year um i brought the uh the front quarters uh the front shoulders and stuff out to uh the butcher and you know asked him if he was willing to you know make sausage with it the way he does his moose sausage and they came out delicious um awesome i probably prefer them actually to the moose sausage just where the meat's a little a little fattier the, the sausage isn't as dry you know yeah 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 no, um, i know exactly what you mean you get the moose and, and elk and deer sausages and they're just yeah, they're really dry yeah i mean they're delicious but um but yeah that that you know it can be dry for sure like the, yeah. the moose and stuff but the bear you know it doesn't doesn't dry out as much uh but honestly i think my favorite way to have bear um here in newfoundland it's a lot of people will bottle or can uh meat so particularly for moose, but I basically started doing that, uh, with bear meat the same way as I would do my moose. Uh, and it's delicious. It's, uh, it's really good. It's versatile. Uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, it's already cooked when it's canned. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, you're not really worrying about trichinosis or things like this. Yeah. Uh, you just, you know, take it out and put it in the frying pan and it's, uh, it's really good. Walk, uh, the listeners through that a bit, like just through the process of, of canning bear meat yeah absolutely so uh you know for canning any type of meat essentially uh you want to use a pressure canner um you know some people you use like the water bath method that you would use for say vegetables and things like this but that's just not safe 
uh, for low acid foods like meat. Um, there's the risk of botulism, which, you know, can be, uh, I guess, fatal in some cases, but get you really sick. Um, you know, and it's one of those things you hear people say like, oh, I've never pressure canned my meat. It's always been fine, but it's always fine until it isn't. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah. it's worth a couple hundred dollars on the, the pressure canner, but essentially uh, what you do is you just, you know, you take the meat uh, and cube it up, try to trim as much of the fat and silver skin off as you can. And uh, you just use mason jars. So you put the meat uh, in the mason jar, um, you know, and pack it somewhat tight, but leave a, a little bit of headroom at the top, uh, you know, because as it cooks and boils, some of the uh, moisture and water will come out. And, you know, if it boils over the seal, it yeah. could prevent it from sealing properly. Uh, so you leave that headroom. Um, and, you know, you can add all sorts of stuff. Like my grandmother, when she would bottle mousse, she would add like onion soup mix, for instance, or oh. um, sometimes I'll throw in uh, minced garlic or just some chopped up onions, uh, things like this. Um, and typically, you know, you add some uh, hot water to that before it goes in the canner. So add a bit of hot water and use a butter knife or something to stir the uh, meat around just to get rid of all the air pockets. Uh, and then, you know, you get the lids and rings of the mason jars, uh, just lukewarm prior to, um, you lay the lid on the jar, put the ring on top, uh, and then you set it in the pressure canner. So in the pressure canner, a bit of water in the bottom, uh, you bring it to a boil, um, and you know, you got the top sealed, you exhaust some of the air. And then once you put the weight on top, it starts building pressure. Uh, so we're pretty much at sea level uh where i'm living so uh it's typically about 75 minutes um for pint-sized jars at 11 pounds of pressure um and then once that's done you take it off the heat and let the pressure run out and that's it take the cans out and they seal tight and they're good yeah. um that's something i'll you know you, typically i have it all gone within the year i eat you know I hardly ever buy beef. <laughs> so yeah. um, it doesn't really last long in our house. Like we, you know, we eat a ton of uh, game meat in general. Yeah. So yeah, sure. I've never really had to <laughs> keep it over a year, but it'll last quite a while. Right. Uh, right. A year plus for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, we're the same way. I, I don't even like the taste of beef anymore. You know, we just eat what I shoot. So uh, yeah. got to fill those tags. Yeah. Cool, man. That, what do you think, Pete? You got any questions on meat or anything you want to add to that before? Cause I want to get into some of the other stuff we got some hand soap and stuff, but while we're on yeah, the topic no, I, of meat. I, I think I'd like to get into the salves and stuff. I, uh, I don't really have anything else on the meat itself. I know bear brats. Those are my favorite personally. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. bratwurst. I'm also spoiled too with our uh, butcher shop in town here. They actually won the Can uh, Canadian nationals or Canadian championships for bratwurst too, a couple oh, years uh, back and they're phenomenal as it is. So yeah, you give them something that they can have fun with and, it's yeah. crazy what they what they crank out. Oh, that's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so you mentioned hand soaps and stuff like that. Talk a bit about that. Yeah, so the the only thing I've really experimented experimented with is like hand salve, so like kind of like a, a hand cream sort of okay. thing. Um, but, you know, lots of people make like you said hand soaps uh and things like this. And that's something I I would like to try just, you know, haven't gotten around to it. But the for the salves, uh, essentially you just, uh, take the bear grease, you know, warm it up on the stove. So it liquefies, uh, entirely. And then, um, you use beeswax. So you add a bit of beeswax, uh, in pellet form. Right. So you can buy these on, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. online, even on Amazon, or maybe even at a local shop. Uh, and from there, um, for scent, like people add like essential oils, uh, oh, yeah. and things like this. So it just so happened that my mother-in-law had a couple different, uh, essential oil bottles or whatever laying around. Uh, I believe it was sage and cedar. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just added these, uh, periodically until it smelled more like sage and cedar than it smelled like bear fat. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. uh, so once that sense kind of gone, um, then it was good. And then, you know, from there, I just funneled it into, I bought these little metal containers, almost like what, like lip balm and things like this, uh, would come in. They're just little two ounce, uh, aluminum canisters and just, uh, funnel it into there. And once it sets it, you know, it almost looks well like lip balm, but it, uh, it takes oh, yeah. it with your finger, rub it around your hands and it, 
you know, it really, uh, well, it kind of feels greasy at first, depending on how much wax you put in, but it's, uh, I find it, you know, better than most hand creams that you can buy, like in the winter months. Uh, I don't know what it's like up there for you guys, but you know, January and stuff here, uh, it's pretty dry. It's easy for your yeah. hands to crack and stuff. And I find this stuff awesome. Um, you know, yeah. it works really well. Yeah. Me, my trade, I'm a uh, bricklayer by trade. So, uh, my hands aren't the nicest looking. So that's hey, you guys, Are you guys that. as dry as we are in the Kootenays here? We're pretty dry in the winter time. Uh, maybe not as dry uh, as you guys. Uh, are you inland? You're you're in right in the coast. How about you, Kevin? Kevin is kind of in the interior, so he's sort mm-hmm. of in the middle of BC. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm way in the interior. I'm almost at the Alberta border. Yeah, okay. I, we're uh, we're yeah. I mean, minus the amount of snow and how cold you get, we're probably the same peak compared to like the coast like i yeah i lived on the coast and i mean it never really snows there it's like that slushy you get into higher elevations and it snows but uh you know right along on the water you get that slushy snowy crap never really sticks to the ground just cold Mm. and miserable and it never really goes away you get it for 360 days of the year it's terrible (laughs) it's terrible (laughs) i don't miss it (laughs) no (laughs) People, it's funny too. They 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 think you're exaggerating. I mean, obviously, I'm exaggerating. It doesn't rain in 360 days of the year, but when you're up there, man, it sure feels like it. 350 at least. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I don't think uh, you know. It doesn't get super dry here. We just kind of have a stretch in January where the weather does get. You know, we do have you know a pretty long winter, but that's where like our coldest temperatures are. And I find it's. But in fact, when I was living uh, in Northern Labrador. Uh, the temperatures were much colder and I found it way, way, way more dry. Really? Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Even though it's, it's still on the coast, but like, you know, it's kind of in a sheltered bay um, w- where we'd actually get sea ice, like the, you know, the ocean would freeze um, essentially. And just during those cold portions of the year where it's, you know, in the minus deep in the minus forties with the wind chill, sometimes it's uh, incredibly dry. Um, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So when the people that, that do make, hand soap out of the bare fat did they kind of follow the same process do you know i'm actually not really sure uh okay. to be honest we'll have, we'll have to look soaps, into yeah. that that's interesting yeah. yeah yeah cool man well thanks on that uh you get yeah. uh out for a bear yet this spring uh not really it's been pretty busy between work uh and like i said with the we got a one-year-old at home yeah. uh but i have i've been out a few times so like i mentioned we are allowed to bait here uh so I do have a, a tree stand and some bait out and we've had a few bears uh, coming in, but I've only, only sat twice so far. And the, the first time was kind of, I knew it was too early. It was just, it felt like you had to get out there almost. <laughs> yeah, know? We know what uh, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I think, I think it's going to get good here now and uh, another week or two, especially uh, once it's not so cold yeah. in the evenings. Cause I think that's, you know, what's preventing uh, more bears from hitting it essentially um, yeah so hopefully I'll, so, I'll get out and get it done so do you get do you have target a bear like target bears that you go for each year that you yeah get each, yeah so i mean that's the you know that is the the nice thing about baiting i know it's uh um, yeah it is kind of controversial and i totally get that you know well i think um, everywhere like most places you can bait for bears i mean that's the thing is there's so many bears i mean yeah uh, and they're just so obviously too. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, in BC here, we're not allowed to. Uh, we're not allowed to bait bears, and so when you find a nice bear that you want to target, it makes it extremely hard to. You know, one thing about a bait is, from what I've heard anyway, is that you know you get a bear on a good bait, and as long as there's something a reason for him to come back, he's going to keep coming back over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So, but when you, if you don't have that tool to use yeah, finding that target bear makes things a lot harder, especially like I was saying earlier, you know, with the weather, the way it is right now, I find if you get a tar, you find a target bear and it's really hot out and it's, you know, generally you find a, uh, you know, a low lying Creek in a drainage somewhere, somewhere there's cooled, it's green down there. It's 10 degrees, cool, 15 degrees cooler down on those drainages during the day. Right. Generally, they're going to keep going back and back and back there just because it has what they need during the day. They're out of that heat. Um, but the way it is right now, it makes it really tough. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, that, that's the thing, I, I guess, with the, the baiting is that, you know, like you said, they will keep coming back. 
and you can kind of pattern them. And I think the the biggest thing that is often overlooked is, you know, you can avoid like the sows with cubs. Um, we're not allowed to shoot them here for good reason, obviously. Uh, I think that's a pretty much standard rule. I don't know anyone oh, yeah. really allowed to shoot sow cubs, but that that is you're right there because you know you do have a little bit more time if you're hunting bears. Um, you know, if you're hunting, if you're calling in tree lines and stuff and a bear walks out, you know, sometimes those cubs are they're sometimes they're not, you know, they're ways back behind their mother or, you know, she's gone out by herself. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it makes it a lot tougher, but yeah, like yeah. you said, if, if you, if you have that to your ability, it's kind of funny because, you know, that might be an argument in BC, Hey Pete, for baiting, for being able to bait, because, you know, yeah. you, if you're sitting in a tree stand and you're baiting, you're, you're getting a lot more time to field judge the animals mm-hmm. as they come in, right? You can say, yeah. okay, you know, that one, that's a smaller bear. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's obviously, it's not with his mother anymore. So it's not a cub, but you can pass on those three, four year old bears and you can kind of target the older boars. Yeah. And you're going to kind of hand pick the bears you want to get. Cause I guarantee you, if you were allowed to bait in BC, there'd be a oh, lot yeah. more bigger bears taken. Cause yeah. guys are like, I know for myself, I'd, I'd be pretty damn picky on, on the bear. I want to take if, if I could sit up in a tree stand and have, have them eaten on them. I don't know if I'd get, I'd be making sure it's comfortable because as soon as the grizzlies come in, I don't know. I'm getting out of my tree stand for a while because <laughs> I'm thinking that's around here. Anyway, it's well, you're in a tree. They can't climb trees. So you're good. Yeah. But I got to get down eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'm, yeah, I'm more than I would love to, to experience sitting hey, over a bait. Just what was uh what was it was it open in your region where you hunt before they shut it down or was it a leh like over here it was for, leh for the grizzly, grizzly? It, it was leh down here too so what the fuck where was it open i think it was was it maybe open up for, maybe up north i'll have to pull out some of my old i know we've drags. always had lots here but it was it was leh down here yeah there's yeah that's yeah, crazy i don't know i was curious i'll have to go through all my old books and look yeah, they're, see they're when popping up everywhere right now it's it's nuts well, yeah well absolutely uh, crazy eventually we got what 120 to 160,000 black bears eventually that's going to be grizzly bears I mean, well even the younger grizzly bears too yeah i mean they're gonna all the big mature ones they're gonna keep their territories and they're gonna give those younger smaller ones the boot and yeah well they estimated we took what 300 bears a year something like that yeah and I know everybody says that just the boars got shot, but that's not true. No. Sal's got shot too. And you think 300, easily be 600, well, easily be 1200. Yeah. Easily be it's, just, you know, it adds up. I mean, it take the process obviously is, it's not like that happens over a five year span, but I mean, for bears, their lifespan is just so long, you know, they live 20, 30 years. So it's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's an article I just read this morning, but I was still half asleep. So I'll read it again before I send it to you, but I'm pretty sure it was down in Cranbrook area there. Um, grizzly bear came right down into the farmland there. That's only about four and a half kilometers from the city itself. Oh yeah. And went in there and went after, I can't remember if it was their sheep or whatever. And they've been there 20 years and they've never had anything like that. And apparently these guys went and talked to all their neighbors and stuff and, they had no idea, but they've, they've all been having the same issue with grizzlies in the last like two years. Yeah. They're all they've got nowhere to go. So they keep, you know, they keep getting booted out and finding new areas and well, they're creeping in. To- yeah. Did you see that there's a, a huge problem in Washington state right now with the number of black bears, the competitions yeah. they're having. <laughs> and it's funny, funny how they, that happened. Eh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> They just shut the hunt down for this is the first year they're not allowed this, the spring hunt and it's uh, oh, okay. it's on LEH only. And this is the first year they're not allowed to have the spring hunt and they're already having issues with bears. And it's funny that it's wow. like, no shit. Yeah. Right? You <laughs> yeah. shut the bear hunt down and now you're having trouble with bears. No fucking shit. What do you think yeah. is going to happen? Yeah. 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 It's kind of like the same thing. If you want things to happen, you know, whether it's wolves or whether it's grizzlies or whatever, you need to put a couple down in Stanley Park for the coastal, you know, for <laughs> yeah. them to be like, yeah, this is what we're talking about here. Like, yeah. Yeah. Was that where they were having issues with like coyotes and stuff? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> I remember reading that. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because right before that, there was a big push to stop coyote, you know, like curb coyote hunting. 
And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the coyotes started taking bites out of people in Stanley Park, <laughs> and that was the last you heard of it. It's like so that's yeah. what that's what we mean, right? That's the yeah. That's the joke going. It's like, hey, we need a we need a couple of grizzly bears to go, you know, inhabit <laughs> Stanley Park because all our decisions in the province they come from basically the Lower Mainland, and Lower Mainland mm-hmm. is so disconnected with the rest of the province. I shouldn't say they just don't get to experience the same thing yeah. as what we do. They're the, on a the, daily, yeah. Well, the popular vote, I mean, obviously there's guys, there's outdoorsmen and women down in the lower mainland that do venture into the, you know, into the north and to areas like our, where we live and, you know, they, they firsthand experience, but those aren't the people, that's not the majority of the people that are making the decisions, right? Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. the majority of the people that have an influence on politicians, they're, you know, they don't see it, right? Because they're just so disconnected from wildlife that, you know, they just, they yeah, believe and- what they read. And where I am here on any given day of, you know, virtually almost every time of year, except for winter time for, you know, bears and that within a five minute drive, I could see anything from a wolf to a grizzly to a moose. Like it's just, we're in this, not really in the sticks, but it's not like we're in a city where there's that big buffer zone. It's yeah, we're out with everything. And the funny thing is that buffer zone as the, as more grizzlies, you know, there's more and more grizzlies, it's going to push the other, you know, it's going to push the grizzlies further out. So their geographical reach is going to be bigger. And as that spreads out, the other predators are going to have to move. They're going to have to move away a little bit, right? Because the king shits in the forest, there's going to be less, not wolves. Wolves pretty much do what they want. But like the black bears, they're not going to be hanging out with the grizzlies. The cougars are going to give them their room. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're going to get pushed in. And like, even in Kelowna here, we're seeing a little more, you know, a little more interaction with cougars, definitely with black bears. Like this year, they've had shit tons of, uh, the CEO has been called tons and tons of times for black bears, almost to the point where they're just like, yeah, they, they don't even know what to do. Like you're going to call wow. them all or, yeah. and then it's funny. Then you get the organizations down in Victoria and there's this one group and I can't remember the name of it, but you know, they, they want to shut the black bear. They're like, we shouldn't have the black bear hunt in BC. You know, it needs to be bears off the board completely in British Columbia. And you're like, you start taking the hunt, you know, the black bear hunt away mm-hmm. from hunters, man. We're going to have a real issue with black bears in this province because man, we already I have don't, it. I don't think people understand how many uh, calves and fawns black bears take. Yeah, like they may not be the top dog out there, but they are good at what they do, especially this time of year when everything's dropping their babies. Yeah, yeah, they are good at finding them. Well, I oh, think absolutely. it's I think it's the you know the the fawns that get ravaged the most by the bears. I don't think they're taking down the deer. No, like I've seen think. I've I've witnessed a deer sitting there blowing at a bear, and the bear just sitting there looking at it. It's not going to run after the deer because it knows it's not going to catch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it it you know it they have such a good nose and where those fawns, they come out, they're almost scentless and the other animals, they can't pick up on that scent. But I think a bear, because it's, it smells so good. It's able to pick up on that scent of that fawn because I've come across fawn carcasses, you know, they were tucked underneath a log and you just see bits of the fawn left and you know, it was a bear that got a hold of it. Yeah. We have the same, same sort of issue here with uh, the caribou calves uh, and moose calves, same you know, same idea. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even, there was a study done uh, a while back, I think where they, I don't know if they collared a few black bears, but actually tracked their proximity to the herd as the herd, the caribou herd was moving to the uh, calving grounds to have their young. Um, But you know, same thing with the moose. Like they, like you said, they're good at what they do, especially those big mature boars uh, that have killed before they're going to, you know, it's just, they're going to do what they, well, what they've evolved <laughs> to do. Yeah, right? and I wonder if climate change, like you're, we were talking a little bit earlier on climate change, I wonder if that has anything to do with the accessibility to get at those, you know, the moose and caribou, because obviously if the snow is deep, the caribou and moose are going to be able to get away from a bear a lot more, but as that snow light recedes, you know, bear's going to be able to move through that snow and, and you know, use the snow line at it to its advantage. So I wonder if that has anything to do with that. It'd be interesting. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. But I mean, it, it very well could even, you know, uh, in terms of caribou changing their coats, like their colors, uh, you know what I mean? If the snow melts yeah. quicker and they're still in their full winter yeah. garb, yeah, so to true. speak. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I often wonder about those time. things. I don't yeah. know how you would ever. Well, there's so many variables. And I mean, yeah. you, you can't just put your finger and or point your finger 
in one direction and say, okay, that definitely the definitive answer of, of why the caribou population is going down is because of hunters. It's cumulative effect of everything, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's predators, it's climate change. Uh, so there's a lot of variables involved in why these yeah. numbers are uh, not just caribou, but everything. Yeah. Of, it seems like caribou still- are, you know, a pretty good indicator species of those things. And yeah. honestly, I, I think hunting pressure is probably the least <laughs> worrisome yeah. thing uh, for yeah, a lot and of it's e- and it, But it's an easy target, right? Like it's easy yeah. for non-hunting community to be like, the reason that there's no caribou left or there's no moose left is because hunters are killing, right? Mm. Right. It's an easy, it's, we're an easy target. And then hunters are sitting there and for the most part, I mean, we're getting better now of, you know, standing up and talking and, and, you know, uh, and again, we're getting away from, you know, the grip and grin style of stuff and there's a lot more engagement. Yeah. So, uh, we're, we're kind of standing up for ourselves a little bit more, which is good. Um, especially seeing as I don't know what the hunting numbers are like out East, but you know, in BC they're, they're declining. So, uh, what's okay. the, what what's the a lot of people out there hunting what's the numbers out there like they i don't know what the actual number is but i think it's pretty stable so you know like moose hunting in particular here is like really just woven into the culture it's like yeah. i don't know if i'd be able to like give you handpick you know 10 random people uh from rural newfoundland and said do you know somebody who hunts moose i, I would almost bet that at least nine out of ten Right. Uh, are going to say yes it's um you know it is really woven into the culture here uh, so i wouldn't say it's on a decline um i still know you know lots of lots of people my age and younger that are you know getting into it and i think like you said this sort of transition we're seeing from the you know the stereotypes and things um kind of makes more people curious about it even people yeah. who didn't grow up around it yeah. uh you know i have friends who ask me questions all the time um, you know, I think they have a genuine interest because they like eating the food, like they like eating bear meat or yeah, moose yeah. and stuff. And it's, uh, you know, I think people want to become more self-sufficient. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, hunting's an excellent tool for that. So I do. Th- yeah. I wouldn't say it's declining here in Newfoundland uh, by any means, but I I don't know the. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that too numbers. with you know, especially the way inflation's going now. I mean, like like I said, we don't buy beef in our house at all so i mean mm-hmm. you know i mean well <laughs> maybe i shouldn't say that because i don't know if it's probably cheaper actually to go out and buy your buy all your beef than the amount of money you put in and time you put into hunting so <laughs> i don't know you look at this you look at the price of beef it's almost well, that's true i wonder if it's stores. gonna have an impact on truck hunters this year with Oh. You know, I filled my truck up the other day and it was over $300 to fill it up. So I, you know, you're not going to, guys aren't going to be oh. driving around yeah. if it's $300 a day to. I hit the $150 selection yesterday when I filled up my truck and guess what? It didn't fill up. Like <laughs> it was still just above three quarters of a tank. And I was like, holy moly. Yeah. yeah. What's crazy. So I, I bet you that's going to have uh, a huge impact on folks getting out in the backcountry. I mean, anyway, for hopefully they're, not getting on their truck, they're still getting out. They're just putting, you know, yeah, more time yeah. in their on their feet if they yeah. can. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I mean, for the most part, every you don't have to go far. I mean, you can walk five hundred, park your truck, and walk five hundred yards, or walk down a trail and sit in glass. Yeah, you don't have to get two days in the backcountry. Oh, no, that's right. That's good. But, I got I got one more quick question for you. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard you can use bare fat, render it down, or maybe not, and use it to waterproof your boots. Do you ever do anything like that? Uh, I haven't used it specifically on my boots, um, but I've used it on like my knives, um, just like, you know, like high carbon steel blades that kind of tarnish, um, you know, I'll use a bit of oil there or on like wooden handles and things like that. And okay. I do, I find it helps, you know, as much as any, any other lubricant essentially, but I haven't tried it on my boots. I have been curious about it. So, you know, I, I'd wonder though, if you'd want to walk, be walking around smelling like a bear yeah <laughs> that's the other thing yeah i don't know that i would especially now that we're into the rut and everything i might be yeah <laughs> well there you go Pete. Yeah. just start run around the bush yeah <laughs> smelling like a bear yeah i may a... not be i may not look quick but let me tell you <laughs> yeah. starts chasing me down <laughs> yeah it's interesting that's why you gotta strategy. hunt with a buddy dude you need yeah, to I hunt know. with a buddy somebody because slower that, yeah. That's right. So if you're getting chased by a bear, you give him a quick shot or take out his legs <laughs> yeah. and they just got to be faster than him. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, well, I, I think we'll wrap it up. Thanks again, anybody, yeah. for joining us. It was uh, oh, thank you. you. Know, it, it's cool. Uh, I kind of reached out to Paul there, and he he connected us. So that's great. It's uh, yeah. It's always fun to meet new people in the hunting hunting industry. And if you're a friend of Paul's, you're a friend of mine because I don't think you're going to come across a you know a, a better guy than Paul. So no, I agree. Paul's a, a great fellow, and I'm I'm thankfully yeah connected us. It's uh, yeah. I pr- yeah. really appreciate you guys having me on. He's a- and- Absolutely. Great, great chat. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a beauty. You got anything to add there, Pete? No, that's it. Just thanks. Yeah. Been, we've been talking about this uh, bear rendering fat thing for a while. So, yeah, we get a lot of good. questions about it. And, you know, I, it's one of those things that I haven't done. You know, I don't have enough experience to talk about. So, it, it, it's great to have this conversation. But, uh, okay, guys, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks Perfect. a lot. All right. Thanks again. Again, everyone for tuning in to the focus hunting podcast it's coming at you as part of the waypoint outdoor collective quick shout out to the sponsors of the show vortex optics the best in optics period backroads maps books never get lost with backroads maps aku boots yo to your feet scree hunting gear now if you guys check the show notes you're going to find some promo codes use them save a bit love you guys talk to you soon where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.